I want to share something this morning that we're just going to do a very brief little two-week series that we're calling Clutter. (laughs) And it's actually the idea of uncluttering your life, focusing on what truly matters in life is what we're going to be talking about. And I remember many, many years ago as a young Christian, probably close to 40 years ago as a a baby Christian, uh, some people said to me, so what's your life verse? I said, what? What's your life verse? That used to be something people talked about. I don't know if they talk about it much anymore, but, you know, is there a, I said, well, I I think the, the right answer is the Bible. Is that the right answer? No. Is there a verse? They said that God has in a very powerful, meaningful way spoken to you about that maybe really helps you understand something about your giftedness, God's calling, your identity in Christ, something that is really kind of a foundational truth that is very, very meaningful to you. And so I thought that was a very intriguing thought. And so I began to just kind of think through as I have tried to really study scripture and think through scripture, is there a specific verse that functions as, um, as real direction in my life, something that is an anchor in my life in the midst of all of the busyness of life? And there is a verse that has really, really impacted me and, uh, and then I want to share it with you. And then we're going to go to the passage we're going to look at this morning. But this verse is found in John chapter 17, and it's verse 4. Verse 4. This will be up on the screen. And for those of you that know that portion of the Gospel of John, you know from chapter 13. 13 is where Jesus was with his disciples in the upper room, it's called. And he had communion, initiated communion with them. He washed their feet all the way leading up to the Garden of Gethsemane. There's a portion of several chapters there. And chapter 17 of the Gospel of John is, a lot of people would say it's almost sacred ground because it's Jesus' prayer to his father. The night that he'd be, he would be betrayed, the, the night before he would go to the cross. And he's praying to his father And verse 4 of chapter 17 has really kind of captivated me. Here's what Jesus said, and he's praying to the Father. And he says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Now, I am not even close to Jesus, being like him. I'm I'm on that journey. But the work that God has given me to do, the work that God has given you to do, is somewhat unique to you. That's what I love about this verse. There's actually two parts to this verse. I have glorified you on earth. Shouldn't that be the goal of the believer? To bring glory to the name of Christ, not to yourself? I have glorified you on this earth. And as as one lens that I look through, I want God glorified through my life. That has incredible impact on the decisions I make, the choices I make, where I go, what I think, what I expose myself to, whatever it might be. I want Christ glorified in my life. That is powerful for me. And then Jesus went on to say, having finished or accomplished the work that you have given me to do. And so that's my other lens that I try to look through life with. Lord, what have you called me to do? What have you gifted me to do? What opportunities have you given me? What are the abilities that you've given me to do? And how can I pursue defining success the way you do by accomplishing the work that you have for me? 
And so as you can imagine, I've, I've thought about this verse for literally decades a lot. It's like, Lord, help me to live a life that brings glory to the name of Christ and help me to live a life that is pursuing passionately every day what you have called me to do and the work that you want me to accomplish. Now, in light of that, by the way, I don't do that ever perfectly and some days better than others. But in light of that, there are four different questions that I think about. They're kind of fashioned in prayer requests because I need God's help to do this. Let me give you these four questions. Question number one is this, Lord, who have you designed me to become? Who have you designed me to become? Said another way, Lord, what is the best version of myself? That's who I want to become. Okay? So as you can imagine, you know, the journey that we have called the Christian life, the journey of walking with Jesus is predominantly a journey of becoming more and more like him. Amen? That's the journey. It's so much more who we are becoming than we are than it is what we do, though what we do is very important as well. So, Lord, who do you want me to become is, is my question. And how have you designed me to do that? Number two, Lord, what have you called me to do? What have you called me to do? And when I think about that question and I pray that question, even, Lord, today, what do you want me to do today? How can I be sensitive to your spirit's leading in my life? I have my to-do list but you have every right to veto my list if you're calling me to do other things. That's my second question. My third question is, Lord, will you help me to live a life of humility that glorifies you? Part of the biggest issue and disease of a sin nature is we are so incredibly self-centered, right? We live life and we want life to center around us and to meet our needs. And that's not what God has called us to. Lord, how can I live a life of humility where I am always decreasing and you are always increasing? That's number three. Number four is this. Lord, will you help me define and pursue success as you define it? What does my life look like to stand before Jesus on the day that, that I see him face to face and can hear from, from him, well done? You've been a good and faithful servant. Well done. That should be our passion, my friends, if we are followers of Jesus Christ. So Jesus said the night that he was betrayed, the night before he went to the cross, as he prays to the Father, Lord, I have glorified you on earth, having finished the work you've given me to do. And for me, that is a great, amazing role model of how I feel I need to live my life. And you can use it as your life first, too, if you want. Uh, Super happy about that. So what I, in, this, in this series that we're doing, um, Clutter, Making Room for What Matters, the approach that I wanted to take and share with you today was if that's the goal, that seems very focused, that seems very intentional, a life that glorifies Christ by accomplishing the work he's given me to do, then how do I get rid of the clutter in my life that distracts me how do I get rid of the noise in my life that takes me down the wrong path constantly, that tugs and pulls at me to not pursue that? How do I do that? And so that's what I want to share with you this morning out of the book of Philippians chapter 4. So if you have your Bible, let's, let's go there, if we would please. Philippians chapter 
4. And we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 13 this morning. By the way, the Apostle Paul, um, when he wrote the book of Philippians, by the way, Philippians is one of several, I think there are four, what are referred to as prison epistles. Epistles meaning letters. That's what the word epistle means. And it's not that these are letters about prison. These are letters from prison. So the Apostle Paul was in prison when he wrote these words. And I think that is really profound because of the things that he writes about and talks about in these verses. So we're going to look at chapter 4, and I'll be reading verses 10 through 13. Paul says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this or all things through him who gives me strength. For me, a real key and a real secret, I'll say, to living my life to glorify Christ and accomplishing the work he's given me to do is living in biblical contentment. And that's what I want to want to share some important thoughts with you about this morning. Now, the Apostle Paul, I think in verse 10, he's being really gracious with them. Let me tell you how it worked. When you were a prisoner in, in Rome, in a Roman prison or jail, especially a Jewish person who was a prisoner, um, very often the way that you were cared for, the way that your needs were provided for, is you had to have people bring it to you. People on the outside, we would say, bring it to you. There wasn't a lot of government subsidy for food and, and clothing and, you know, a blanket for your bed or cot or whatever it might have been. So people provided that for you. So the Apostle Paul's, while in prison, uh, only way of getting his needs provided essentially were as his friends brought things. That's where often he says, bring my cloak for winter. And he has people come and visit him because they're, they're meeting his needs. They're providing things that he needs. One of the churches that had been faithful in bringing gifts and, and helping Paul in his needs was the church at Philippi. It was the Philippian church. And so apparently when we read verse 10, and you can see it as you continue through chapter 4 of Philippians, apparently the Apostle Paul had been very much anticipating a gift from then. He had gotten other gifts, and he had needs, and he was anticipating a gift from them, and it was delayed and delayed. Look at how gracious he is. Let me read this again. He says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. So, you know, were they going through some kind of famine? Was the church just going through persecution? Who knows what was going on? But the Apostle Paul had real needs. He had real needs. Maybe beginning with food to eat or clothing or whatever it might have been. And he had been anticipating and expecting a gift from the Philippian church to help cover those needs. And it didn't come. He went to the mailbox and the check wasn't there. 
day after day after day after day. That's tough. That's tough when you have true, real, daily need and it's not getting fulfilled. And so I'm going to be sharing four different principles about biblical contentment with you. And the first one I see right here in verse 10, and that biblical contentment is a cure for entitlement. It's a cure for entitlement. Why do I say that? Because we don't see the Apostle Paul ticked off. We don't see the Apostle Paul screaming at them. We don't see the Apostle Paul whining or complaining about not having received their gift when even maybe when they promised it would come. Biblical contentment, my friends, is a cure for entitlement. Think of how easy it is for us to feel entitled. In fact, I think it's hardwired into our DNA. <laughs> I think it is. I think it's part of our nature. I think it's part of a consumer culture that permeates everything about us in this country. We say things like we deserve, we expect, we demand. When we don't get it, we throw a fit. Or as my southern friends say, we pitch a fit. You've ever heard that? We pitch a fit. We just go crazy. You know, we, we, we can become very uh, angry and rude. And uh, that's kind of the opposite of what, is, what Paul is talking about. It's a cure for entitlement. You know, I like to use the term, I, I didn't coin this term, but I, I like to use the term, the church has a lot of acceptable sins. Things we never address, things we never confront, things that we probably don't even repent of. Because they're not all that bad. Gossip, eh, probably should do less of it. I mean, I probably shouldn't do it at all, maybe. But, you know, we think about things like that. You know, selfish ambition, love of money. You know, there are some very clear admonitions in uh, in the scriptures of things that are sinful. And yet, for whatever reason, I think we've been lulled to sleep about many of these acceptable sins. Entitlement, I think, is one. I deserve. It's my right. And we can just kind of live there. And every time we don't get what we want, and every time we're not treated, you know, the way we deserve, we get mad. We get angry. And if we're living with biblical contentment, that's not how we respond. It's a cure for entitlement. And, you know, I, my friends, I, I am incredibly sympathetic for those times in our lives where we have been treated unjustly. I get it. Or there are times in our lives where we feel tremendous disappointment or tremendous hurt. I get it. And that hurt and that pain is very real. But we've been saved by what? By grace. And we live by grace. And at the end of the day, there really is nothing that I can say I deserve and I demand. Because our lives are lives of of recipients of God's grace. And so the Apostle Paul in prison, you know, here he is waiting for for, uh, this gift that the Philippians apparently had promised. And it doesn't come, and it doesn't come, and it doesn't come. By the way, it eventually comes. If you read the end of chapter 4, the gift finally does come. But I I think that um, this is a tough one, isn't it? This is a tough one for me to not feel entitled. 
I earned it. I deserve it. Why are you treating me this way? I think it's really tough. We live in a culture, and I want you to hear that I have a deep appreciation for marketing and branding and sales and advertising. I do. So don't, don't think I'm saying anything specifically negative about those fields. But I think, I think that we are so subjected, subjected if we are you know, listening to or looking at media constantly, which is pretty common for many, many of us. We get these messages of you deserve, you deserve, you're entitled, you deserve, don't we? And to be able to fight that, to be able to go against the current and understand that you're not, that we're not, is profoundly difficult because that message is so uh, constant in our lives. And so for me to even share, and this is so hard for me, you know, um, the attitude, this biblical attitude of contentment means I'm not entitled. Anything and everything I get is because of God's grace in my life. It's hard to live there, but that needs to be our aspiration. And that's what biblical contentment does for us. It's really beautiful. You know what I think the secret is, at least, I think it's just be careful what you put in your head all the time, isn't it? I mean, we are what we think. We are what we put into our minds. And if we just allow ourselves constantly to be bombarded by this message of you deserve, you deserve, you're entitled, you should demand, you should get angry when you don't get what you want, you know, on and on and on, then that's how we're going to live. That's how we're going to view life. On the contrary, and this is why I think the Apostle Paul wrote verse 8, just a couple verses before. He talked about this. He says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. You see, my friends, our lives are shaped by what our mind dwells on. It really is. And I think we kind of, when we sit passively by and passively back, Paul talked about this in Romans 12, 1, don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your, what? Of your mind. So this whole, whole idea of not feeling entitled, the cure for entitlement is allowing the truth of God and the values of God to dwell in our minds and our hearts. That seems to be such a key. Biblical contentment is a cure for entitlement. Okay, let's look at verse 11. Paul goes on to say, I'm not saying this because I am need. I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Here's my number two principle. Biblical contentment is a mindset for life. It's a mindset for life. It's the whole way we look at life. Whatever the circumstances, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be content. Now, it's really, really, really important for me to say that biblical contentment or contentment as Paul is defining it here is not a very, is not to be equated with passivity or a passive approach to life. I think some people can see that and say, I have no ambition. I have no desires. I have no goals, you know, whatever. Life is just kind of whatever happens, happens, that kind of thing. The apostle Paul might've been one of the least, if not the least passive person <laughs> that we know about in scripture. L- listen to Philippians chapter three, 
verses 12 through 14. Paul says this, not that I have already attained this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I did not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That is not a passive man. That is not passivity. The very one who's talking about biblical contentment, I can live in whatever circumstances I'm in and honor Christ and be at peace is his point uses phrases like, I press on. Listen to Colossians 1, verses 28 and 29. Paul writes, he, Jesus, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. That is not passivity. So I just want to make it clear when we talk about contentment, you know, often the def- definition or way, the way we use this idea of contentment is whatever happens, no biggie. You know, I'm fine. No worries. No, contentment is rooted in something very, very different. Let me give you this kind of definition. This is kind of the essence of what I want to say this morning. Biblical contentment is rooted in surrendering my life to a sovereign, all-knowing, all-powerful God who I trust is in control of all things, including my life and the world. I'm going to say that again. Biblical contentment is rooted in surrendering my life to a sovereign. That means he's over all a sovereign, all knowing, all powerful God, whom I trust is in control of all things, including my life. So when I talk about contentment being a mindset for life, that's at the root of how I view my life. And I'm not a robot. God has given us free will. We are responsible to make choices. We're not saying that when we talk about his sovereignty. But we are talking about the fact that God is in control and I can trust him. And he's promised he will never leave me or forsake me. He is with me. He is for me. And so even when life is hard, he's there. He is with me and he is for me. And that's where the contentment can come. Lord, I rest in you. I don't know how to figure this out. I don't know what's going to happen. Feeling pretty scary right now. Feeling pretty nervous right now. But I'm just going to trust you. I'm going to rest in you. And that's what Paul means when he talks about biblical contentment. We need to keep moving. Verse 12. I know what it is, he says, to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. This is so key. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Here's my third principle. Biblical contentment is a secret to be learned. It's a secret to be learned. Clearly, contentment doesn't come naturally. It doesn't. Not at all. We are deeply affected by the circumstances of our lives. So I want you to think for just a moment with me, a common question. People ask this a lot or people, I just hear this question a lot. So you, you're having a good day or a bad day? How's your day? Good day, bad day. The whole good day, bad day thing. 
And what tends to be where we go with this? Oh, it's sunny and warm. Good day. It's 34 and freezing rain. Bad day. We got a new refrigerator. Good day. Our furnace died. Bad day. My blood work numbers came back. Uh, They were normal range. Good day. Praise God. And that is a good thing. But I had to have a biopsy taken from the growth on my neck that they're very concerned about, and I won't know the results for another week. Bad day. You get my point? We're just, we can just be unbelievably up and down, depending on what's going on, depending on the circumstances. And what the Apostle Paul is, is teaching us and, and what God is wanting us to learn so importantly is we need to not allow the good day, bad day approach to life to rule. That's not how it works. Paul's telling us there's a different way to look at life. Now, I have walked with G. I'm coming up on my spiritual birthday. So when I talk about my spiritual birthday, I'm one of those people that knows exactly the day of the moment that I gave my life completely to Jesus Christ. It was March 30th, 1975. Okay, so this is 2020. Guess what happens on March 30th this year? I celebrate 45 years of walking with Jesus. Some of you say, how old are you? Oh my gosh. I was a college student, okay? Yes, I'm in my 60s. I'm happy to reveal that. But here's why I'm sharing this with you. Thank you for the applause, by the way. Here's why I'm sharing this with you. Guess what happens when you have walked with Jesus for decades? Some of you totally relate with this, with me with this. You see how faithful he is. You see how amazing he is. You see how he shows up. And what is so beautiful to me is Paul says, I had to learn to be content. Nothing about this comes naturally. And contentment, again, my friends, is saying I had to learn how to trust an all-loving, all-powerful, he's always for me, he's always with me, God. And you know what? There are times, and I'm one of these guys that for, for years I've, I've journaled as part of my quiet time. I can look back two years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, and just see how incredibly faithful God has been to me. Unbelievable. That doesn't mean my life has been easy. My life has not been easy. That doesn't mean my life has been free of incredible challenge, sometimes heartache, sometimes big disappointment. But here's the deal with the Lord that's so awesome. Even during the valley times, even during the very dark times, he not only is with you, he's there to refine you. He's there to humble you. He's there to make you more dependent upon him. He's there to make you more like Jesus. Because many of you would agree with me, I'm sure, that it's during the crucible of the really tough stuff that he does his deepest work in your life. Amen? That is absolutely true in my life. Can I be content in the trial? James 1. Because knowing that the testing of my faith produces endurance. And as I let endurance have its perfect result, then I'm going to become like Jesus, perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. See, that's such a beautiful thing about the Christian life. Even life is hard. It's not that God's abandoned me. It's that God is doing a deeper work in me. God is making me more like Christ. God is knocking more and more of the rough edges off of my life, which I really need. 
to become more and more the person he wants me to be. That's such a beautiful thing. You see, contentment doesn't come naturally, and contentment doesn't come by the weekend either (laughs) in my life. For me, it's been over a four-decade journey with Jesus, and I still have a whole lot to learn. But praise God, I'm making progress, making some progress, and I'm thankful for that. Paul says, I learned the secret. It's an important one, but it has to be learned. Verse 13. This is the one many of us know. We've quoted and uh, we, we've learned it in many different translations. NIV simply says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Some versions, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Same idea. Here's my fourth. Biblical contentment is a power to be utilized. It's a power to be utilized. Here's a couple other key verses. See, my friends, there's no way we can live out this biblical contentment without the power of Christ, right? There's no way. It's too contrary to who we are, but he can help us live in this state of trust and peace and even joy because we're content in him. And he's a powerful God. Listen to this. This is, this is a great verse. Second Peter 1, 3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Wow. Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And then 1 Timothy 1.12 says, Paul again, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. We don't have to do this alone. This contentment thing that sounds, you know, not being ruled by circumstances is so hard. It takes the power of Christ And so my friends, do we cry out for the power of Christ? Do we say, Lord, I feel like I'm caving in to temptation. Lord, I feel like I'm ready to completely explode and lose it. Lord, I feel like I'm on the verge of doing something very dangerous, maybe even to myself. I need your strength. I need your power in my life. And God shows up, my friends, when we cry out to him. It's Christ's power, not my power. That enables us to be content. Pray to persevere when you want to quit. Pray for courage when you want to run. Pray that God will help you speak truth in a situation where you just as soon hide or be invisible. Glorifying God by fulfilling his purpose for my life requires biblical contentment. I think the reason why I wanted to share this passage in light of this verse out of John 17:4 is because for me, this has been a real key to glorifying Christ because, because my friends, here's what happens. And we get no, we get no uh, praise or applause for this. God gets it all sometimes. And Kathy and I, you know, with some of my wife's had some very serious health issues and we've just had a lot of beautiful things in our lives and a lot of hard things in our lives. And when when we can be at peace, when we're not freaking out, when we can um, even continue to serve others when we ourselves are struggling, people want to know what's going on. 
especially non-believers, what's going on with you? And you know what we get to say? It's because of Jesus. I am not this calm. I am not this kind. I am not this patient. But Jesus Christ gives me his peace and he gives me his strength. And even though we're going through something very, very challenging, we rest in him. And he always shows up. And he is always there for us. And that's one of the most beautiful ways that we can give testimony to the greatness of our Savior. Contentment means not being angry with God or shaking our fist at God or not forsaking God. It just means saying, I really trust you. I have no idea where this is going. I don't even know where this is going to end up. But Lord, you, I just want to tell you, I trust you. I have confidence, confident that some of you are living right there right now. And I don't want to downplay the struggle or the pain. I don't. But Jesus is with you. Jesus is for you. And he will walk with you. And there are moments that he'll give you peace and calm and assurance that you didn't generate yourself. We need to glorify God by fulfilling his purpose for our life. And I think that's in the context of contentment. It means, my friends, that we don't live for ourselves. We live for him. And then just closing with the idea of uncluttering our lives so that we can focus on what matters. What are you allowing to fill your mind constantly? What is the source? What are the sources that you're listening to constantly? And maybe where do some changes need to be made? What's some of the busyness of your life that is distracting you from being all that Christ wants you to be and do? That's a good thing. That's a good evaluation. And since we're on the verge of spring, it's kind of like spiritual spring cleaning. Maybe we need to do some spiritual spring cleaning and get rid of some of the clutter and experience God's peace, maybe in very new and powerful ways. That's my prayer for you. Let's pray together. Thanks, Father. Sometimes we read scripture and we just in our hearts say that's impossible and humanly it is. Being content, living in the midst of tough circumstances and being peaceful and joyful. We need you. But Father, I pray, I pray for my brothers and sisters, certainly for myself, that we take a hard look at how we're living our lives and maybe we need to make some course corrections. Maybe we need to unclutter. Maybe we need to get rid of some things that are, that are just really pulling us away, like a strong current pulling us away from fulfilling the life you've called us to live and accomplishing the work that you've given us to do. And most of all, bringing glory to you. So, Father, I pray for my dear friends with us this morning. Lord, we're all on this journey together. We're all fellow strugglers on this journey. But I pray for hope and encouragement that you are the one who loves us. You are the ones who will, one who will never forsake us. 
you are the one who is always present with us. The mountaintop experiences, certainly also in the valley experiences. Help us to trust you. We want to trust you because you are more than worthy of our trust. We want you to be glorified through us. Help us to live lives that in every way point to your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.